This is Beat the Closing Line. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beat the Closing Line. I am your host, Nicole Russo, alongside analyst for thelines.com, Mo Nawara. And today we have a special guest analyst on with us, Stephen Andres. If you are in the Lines Discord, the Lines website, you know this guy because he kind of does everything over there. So Stephen, welcome. We are so excited to have you joining us this week. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Eli's out sick. Hope to have him back soon. I know that a lot of us here at the lines have been talking about this weekend and how excited we are for it, for the fact that, you know, the six teams that we've basically had at the top of our power rankings for two months now all made it to this point, which is going to make for some really compelling football in the divisional playoffs. I can't wait. And uh, we made it past the wild card round last week. We're going to take a look at the divisional round this weekend. Look at those playoff matchups, talking about opening lines, how those lines might have already started moving and bets that we like heading into this weekend. But of course, before we get into all of that, make sure to give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to this YouTube channel and ring the bell so you know every time we post a new video. And if you are listening to us where you get your podcast, make sure to subscribe to that Beat the Closing Line pod. Now, Mo... I think we're just going to forget about last weekend, right? We're not going to, we don't need to talk about the Ravens. It's best to forget about last week for sure. (laughs) No, uh, some, some poor plays from me. Uh, like, I don't know. I feel like Seahawks was not the worst. Like, obviously they were in the game for a very long time there. Um, that being said, they did nothing to stop the 49ers offense. So maybe a flip at best there. Uh, but yeah, very unlucky on the Ravens, obviously. Like I think we can all feel pretty confident. Understatement in in terms of how unlucky you were on that one. Yeah. Like they were going to cover with Lamar. I mean, just given how well their defense played, um, it's just, yeah. Unfortunate situation of me believing, uh, the words of reporters when they say the man's got a strong chance to play. I mean, maybe he did have a strong chance and it was, um, just a setback or something, but honestly, like it never really seemed like he was going to play. So it was I mean, really he wasn't weird for them to say that there, <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> he was at home watching the game from what the reporter said. So I'm not sure what that says about that situation. Yeah, tough uh, spot there. I mean, tough spot there, Nicole. I mean, Moe's trying to get ahead of line movement with legitimate reports saying he's got a strong chance to play. And then middle of the week, he's still not practicing. So, you know, that's going to happen sometimes when you're betting on on these games. You're going to take a chance here and there trying to beat the closing line, as, you know, obviously the show is called. But um, in Moe's defense, when the game played out, even with Tyler Huntley, clearly the Ravens were the right side the entire game until the thick six or the fumble in the jungle, whatever nickname you prefer here. I mean, that the Ravens shouldn't have just covered the every number in that game. They should have probably won the game outright. So good process, bad results, but we'll always go a good process here. Yeah, like I said, I was just as shocked as you when, like you said, we had been getting reports that there was a high chance that he was going to play. I thought maybe we would see him on the sidelines, but then to hear that he wasn't even at on the field, you're like, eh, what the heck happened there? But again, we're going to we're going to move on. That's what you have to do in sports betting. You're going to have bad weeks. You're going to have good weeks. You got to move on. Fresh start. Let's take a look at the first matchup we have for today's slate of games that we are covering. So Dallas shut down Tom Brady and the Bucks on Monday night and will now face Brock Purdy and the 49ers this weekend in the divisional round. A lot of people were concerned about Dak Prescott in that game. I believe including you, Mo, you had some concerns about Dak's production, but he kind of showed out with four passing touchdowns and one rushing 
rushing touchdown. Now, Purdy and the Niners had a little bit of a slower start against the Seahawks before completely dominating in the second half of that game. Now, the line for the Niners-Dallas game is currently sitting at San Francisco minus four, but Mo, you like the under at 46 here, so talk us through this one. Yeah, a little bit interested in the 49ers as well. It did hit three um, for a little bit with high juice, and I think it's back to three and a half now or four pretty much everywhere. But I'm a little more interested in the total for sure. Uh, I did fire this one under 46 and a half yesterday. It's 46 now, so it looks like it's moving that way. Um, Obviously, we did see both of these offenses pretty much dominate. I mean, the Cowboys slow start but they were doing fine uh for for the majority of like the middle portions of that game um and the Niners they were just moving the ball up and down the field basically the whole the whole time against the Seahawks that being said it is two very like heavily run based offenses um we have the Niners seventh the Cowboys eighth in their rate of rushing plays Uh, both are sitting like around 48 percent of the time they're running the ball uh just to compare that like throw that number into a little bit of context uh, you know the 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 least rush heavy teams are in the like low 30s so they're way way above like the bottom teams like this isn't a situation where every team is between like 40 and 50 you know these teams are really really focusing on running the ball a lot i think that's not going to come as a as real surprise to anybody who's watched these teams especially the 49ers the last few weeks um their offensive line really seems to be uh just moving mountains lately and um I think we're going to see the clock moving pretty consistently, kind of polar opposite of that that Tampa Bay uh, uh, Bucks game where just incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass. You had like four drives and like four minutes came off the clock. And I think this is going to be the opposite of that. And both teams are strong um, stopping the run, statistically speaking. I don't know if I'm like as much of a believer in Dallas's run D, but they're both top five in, in rush defense DVOA and – rush epa per play allowed so um i I think both teams are not going to be moving the ball that efficiently and i think it's a spot where honestly the market and every better is just like pretty excited about these offenses after the niners scored 40 dallas scored 30 and then basically stopped having to try on offense um because they were up huge and yeah dak played very well he definitely did i'm not gonna you know, dump on his performance whatsoever for sure. But that being said, I was shocked at how well the offensive line performed against um, Tampa Bay's pass rush just really got stonewalled. And I thought he was going to be under more pressure than that. I was surprised at how well they played. We know how good the 49ers pass rush is. I I think when they create some havoc there, Dak's not going to look nearly as good. We've seen him really struggle when he's got to make plays off platform in the past. Um, And on the other side, you know, uh, Brock Purdy's been just wrecking my bankroll, but <laughs> he did not play well for a large portion of that Seahawks game. Like his, he was, he looked, he looked like a lot of people thought he was going to look for a lot of Mr. Throws. Yeah. I mean, but they turned it around, but in that first half, I mean, he was starting to look like a rookie. Yeah, the biggest thing that he is really consistently doing is just evading pass rushers, though. Even his poor throws um, at times, like when that's happening, he's still doing amazing work in the pocket. And 
I don't know, man. It's a little tougher to get away from from uh, Micah Parsons. I, I remember like uh, last year when the Chiefs played Dallas, even Mahomes got like hawked down by him. Like Mahomes, who never gets caught by anybody. So I think he could be in for a little tougher time there. So uh, yeah, I think both of these offenses are not going to do as well as people think. And uh, I'm liking under 46. Steven, what's your take on this game? Are you with Mo or do you have another bet that you like? I don't mind the under. I don't have a play here. Full disclosure, I have a pretty decent amount of 49ers futures and I am a 49ers fan, but those that have listened to me and followed me over the years have known that I've had a healthy amount of skepticism when it comes to the 49ers here as my dog just absolutely loses it in the background. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, all good. Jimmy Mose was very talkative <laughs> Mo's dog did not like his bets last week so yeah, we're very used to it on this show when we're actually talking about underdogs <laughs> whereas mine's just being a little pain in the butt here while we're trying to do a podcast pitfalls of the remote world but the point i'm trying to make is that jimmy garoppolo when he was the quarterback i had a ton of skepticism about him and running this offense because it seemed like everything was short to middle nothing was opened up deep And Brock Purdy has somehow opened that up in just the small sample of half a season we basically have with him. He's had, I think, six to eight touchdowns of 20 plus yards down the field where Jimmy Garoppolo in a year and a half had one. And I agree with you. He looked shaky early against the Seahawks. Rookie nerves, first playoff game, perhaps. But to finish the game with 11 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no picks. I mean, he looked like mini Mahomes out there evading pressure and and throwing a really impressive touchdown pass to me near the sideline and taking a hit. So um, that's something you never saw with Jimmy Garoppolo. He was a statue back there for the last uh, amount of time. So um, the other thing I'll just mention too, in terms of Mo's under here is that, you know, Ben Baldwin on Twitter does a really good job of like infographics and showing you where these teams are. And he put one out there this week. That was really cool. It took all the Super Bowl teams from this century on a, on a graph and put in the current divisional teams in, in the playoffs on the graph as well. And the 49ers defense is really damn good. I think we all know that already. But but for the most part, for over the course of the entire season, we're talking like Carolina Panthers 2015 defense. We're talking not too far away from the 2019 49ers defense. And if you look at only the sample of the games where Brock Purdy has played, which I do think there's some correlation there, even though it's offense versus defense, because the offense has been better. They've been keeping the Niners defense off the field. They've been fresher. So the defense in games Brock Purdy has played is now getting up into like Legion of Boom Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl team territory here. So um, I was bullish on the Cowboys going into wildcard weekend. I was the opposite of Mo on that because I thought too much was made of the last two weeks of the season. But I still have the 49ers clearly ahead of them in my ratings here. So um just because Dak looked good against Tampa Bay and a mediocre team, in my opinion, does not mean that they're going to look as good to me against the best defense in the NFL this week. Hey, Jimmy G might have been a statue back there, but he was a darn good looking statue back there. So <laughs> I wasn't hating on him. He was a good athlete, too, before. Like people forget he was actually a pretty good athlete. Ever since he ripped up his knee, he can't move anymore. Yeah, for sure. At least he didn't rip up his face, right, Nicole? That's the moneymaker right there, let's be <laughs> honest. But, 
All right, second game on today's slate. Steven is coming into this podcast and already mixing things up by throwing a teaser into the mix. So, Steven, you are taking the Chiefs and the Eagles in a six-point teaser. Now, just for reference, the current spread on these games is Chiefs minus 8.5 and, and Eagles minus 7.5. So kind of walk us through your teaser. We haven't done one, actually, on this show, I don't believe. So kind of walk us through this one. Yeah, Eli hates teasers. Just refuses <laughs> to bet the teasers. He's, he loves he loves throwing the a wrench into the process. <laughs> I know. What are you doing in the playoff in the divisional round? <laughs> hey, rarely do you get, in my opinion, an opportunity for a teaser that looks as good as this one. To be honest with you, both of the Saturday day games set up well for the you know the traditional Wong teaser. The Chiefs down to minus two and a half. The Eagles down to minus one and a half. If you're listening to this later. Anything two and a half or better on the Eagles is fine. I'm, I don't know, Mo. I'm skeptical here that we're not going to get more line movement towards the favorites in this one. If you look at the first two meetings between these two teams, the Chiefs were nine and a half point favorites. And in the one meaningful game the Eagles played against the Giants, that game was in New York, but the Eagles were seven, seven and a half at close, depending on where you looked. So the fact that we're still sitting at that line with a flipping home field and the Eagles coming off a of bye week. The only way I can explain this is skepticism with Jalen Hurts' health because nothing else makes sense here. I, Lane Johnson was limited in practice on Wednesday, their right tackle. He, it looks like he's going to play, though. Jalen Hurts wasn't even on the injury report. So to me, I'm not sure this teaser opportunity is going to be available anymore come kickoff. And that's why I locked it in early in the middle of the week here. But Mo, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. Like, these these lines seem a little light on the favorites and the one seeds this week to me. Yeah, this is something I've noticed uh, in the past, uh, just from many, many years of paying attention to the lines uh, of these second round playoff games. And it used to be for one and two seeds. Now it's obviously just one seeds. But just like always thinking back, I would always notice how good these underdogs looked. Oh, plus seven and a half on the Colts, the Ravens against the Patriots uh, for years. You know, I would fire these every time they would get pasted by 20. <laughs> and I just was like, well, what am I missing here? I, I think a couple things uh, happen with these games. I, I think people get caught up in watching these hot wildcard teams win an exciting game and, you know, these favorites are off their radar, sitting at home, getting a buy. So it's like a double whammy here where it's like just double recency bias. We didn't watch this favored team. We did watch this team, particularly a team like the Giants that comes out, pulls an upset. Everyone was on the Giants anyway. Giants made everyone, you know, 1.5 units at least if they fired money line, uh, since everyone was on Giants money line. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think this bet is fine. Um, I'm going to talk about more about the Eagles later, but I'll dive into the Chiefs a little bit right now. I think they shouldn't be too far from minus 10, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this is a decent way to play them. Some little bit unfortunate injury news. It does look like McCole Hardman isn't going to play. I was hoping he'd be back. I've been miserable watching this Chiefs receiving core all year. It's not fun. They stink. They drop the ball. They, 
I shouldn't say they run poor route. MBS <laughs> runs atrocious routes. Uh, but I was hoping McColl would be back. I don't think they need him for this game, but just something to, to keep in mind there. I, I just think it's a good matchup for the Chiefs. The Jags just don't match up all that well. Their secondary is their weak point on defense. They were 30th in defense DVOA against the pass, 17th in EPA per play allowed. So maybe not as bad as DVOA thinks, but they look below average. They look below average to the eye test. The Chargers were carving them up for a half, you know, with one good receiver on the field. They are very good against the run, but it's like, how much is that going to help you against the Chiefs? The Chiefs never run the ball. Andy Reid doesn't really care about running the ball. Um, and particularly tight ends seem to be doing very well against them. DVOA has them dead last in the NFL against tight ends. They're allowing six for 62 on average. Obviously that's a problem when you're facing the chiefs. And yeah, just to go back to that first matchup, you know, I went to the game. Um, so maybe I didn't have the same view as, as most people watching it on TV, but it definitely did seem like the chiefs, uh, dominated that game. Um, I had the Jags in that game and, you know, they got an onside. I think they onsided on the opening kickoff, if I'm remembering right. They got an onside kick and and went plus three in turnovers. Chiefs fumbled on their own 10. I mean, and Chiefs still won by 10. I mean, it wasn't a very competitive game. So I, I think the Jags are probably, people are probably a little overexcited. They didn't really still play that good of a game. Lawrence struggled a lot more than I thought he was going to and playing on the road against, you know, the chiefs are not a great defense, but they do have a pass rush. So, uh, yeah, I think this is probably a chief's role, but, um, if you want to be a little safer and, and the numbers make sense, you can fire the teaser. All right, Steven, we're going to take it back to you for this next one. More traditional bet, not another teaser, but Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills are going to host Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals this weekend. Now, both teams have been on huge winning streaks. Obviously, one of those is going to get snapped this weekend, but there's also going to be a ton of emotion that is going to factor into this game. Now, the last two times this team met, we will never forget, was that canceled game where DeMar Hamlin got injured on the field. Now, this line has been on the move. Steven, you actually bet the Bengals plus four and a half, but it's now up to Bengals plus five and a half in some spots. So go ahead and give us some more detail on this one. Yeah, I definitely did not beat the closing line on this one. That's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, we're also talking about numbers here at five, five and a half. They're dead numbers to me. If I'm thinking about betting on a team at, at plus four and a half, I don't care if it gets to five or five and a half, because very rarely does a game end on that. It, it, I matter. I care more about possibly losing the four and a half and it going back to four. But, um, you know, first question before I explain this and, and why I bet it is is for you mo are we is this really going to hit six i mean it's been bouncing around a little bit all the way up to five and a half it hasn't touched six anywhere yet but do you think we're going to see a, a bills minus six here by kickoff i'd be a little bit surprised if we saw a bills minus six especially since it seems like more people than not like cincinnati but a lot of the influential betters seem to be on the bills early um do see one five and a half right now at caesars and another low juice five and a half at bet MGM. So definitely, uh, 
seems like it's inching that way, but six is when you start to get to a number that matters. I, I agree with what you're saying. Like I wouldn't be sweating uh, your, your miss there uh, as far as CLV goes right. just because of the numbers. And, and I don't know, my philosophy has always just been, if I see a number I like, I bet it. And if it goes against me, I try to think if I'm missing something and if I don't think I am, maybe I'll bet more. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Honestly, if this got the six, I might bet a little more on Cincinnati. I'm, I feel like, you know, Mo and I, Mo was joking with me. I was saying, I feel like I'm, you know, in the small minority here backing the Bengals and, you know, the public tickets right now are all on the Bengals. It seems so I guess I'm in the small minority in the gambling, Twitter, sports betting, uh, content producer space because the narrative has clearly been that the Bengals offensive line is decimated guys, right? Like they're missing three of their five offensive linemen. And the question I just want to pose and have people think about is did the Bengals offensive line actually get better in the second half of the year? Like everybody's saying, like, that's what everybody's claiming that the O line was so good in the second half, but they finished the season 30th in pass block win rate. And for those that don't know, that's a metric that measures how long offensive linemen hold their blocks for at least 2.5 seconds. So they finished only 1% better than the dead worst team in pass block win rate. So they were so good in the second half of the year that they finished 1% better overall than the worst pass blocking team in the NFL. What really happened in my mind is that the reason Joe Burrow wasn't sacked more than two times in a game the second half of the year is because he just started getting rid of the ball faster. Started protecting himself. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. Covering his own ass, for God's sakes. Like, he, he was getting rid of the ball, if you look at next-gen stats, at a rate faster than every quarterback in the NFL other than Tom Brady, who had his own offensive line issues this year. So, if the offensive line didn't actually get better with the starters in there, is this an overreaction to a line move that was two and a half in Cincinnati and is now... Five and a half. We'll see if it touches six, especially when that line move is through the two biggest key numbers of all in three and four. So that's the one side of this. The other side of it is the is the Bills offense that I think a lot of people are glazing over and not questioning what the Bills offense is at this point. This is not the Bills offense from the first half of the season that was just boat racing everybody and putting up monster stats all over the place. First of all, they're bottom three in turnovers this year. So a chance for Cincinnati to maybe get an extra possession or two in this game. And the last six weeks of the regular season, plus the wild card round, they're down to ninth in EPA right next to Cincinnati's offense, 11th in success rate. Cincinnati's offense is fifth. They are close to identical, the Bills and the and the Bengals, in terms of dropback EPA. And Buffalo is 11th in dropback EPA, uh, dropback success rate. Cincinnati is fifth. So Josh Allen has had to overcome an offense that has made him have to go take a lot of chances. And if you look at ex, if you look at expected completion percentage, which is about the scheme and game planning receivers open and those receivers actually creating separation over the last six weeks in the wild card round. Josh Allen is dead last in expected completion percentage among quarterbacks with at least 100 plays. 
The scheme and the receivers are not helping him. Joe Burrow is seven percentage points higher in expected completion percentage. And he's also had a better completion percentage over expected. So a lot is being asked of Josh Allen right now with a situation that is not nearly as good as it was last year when Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator. And it makes me question whether or not this team is in position to boat race anybody right now and win by a, a, one of these other quality teams by a touchdown. So I have questions on both sides here uh, in terms of the narratives that are being painted. So, yeah, Cincinnati plus four and a half or better for me. Yeah, something just kind of seems off with the Bills, right? You have the the game yeah. last weekend against a third string quarterback in Miami that was way closer than anyone I think expected on that one. And obviously the turnovers are concerning. If you're turning over the ball three times in a game and you're consistently doing that, it's going to be hard to continue to overcome that, especially as you continue to play these higher and higher caliber teams as we inch closer toward the Super Bowl. Now, on the flip side, the Bengals have only had 14 giveaways since the week one debacle that we saw against my Steelers. So, you know, like you said, Burrow's getting the ball out a lot quicker to protect himself, but he's also not being stupid with the ball and, you know, they're, they're being pretty conservative with it. So I agree with you. I think since he can keep this one close, Mo, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I, I'm a little bit against Steven on this one. Um, not like super confidently, uh, just because it is <laughs> You're not obvious. alone. Everybody's against me. It seems this week. On it this is. One. Yeah, right. It is obvious that, uh, the Bills are struggling a little bit. That being said, most of their struggles are due to turnovers, and those can be a little bit fluky, although Josh Allen has created some of them um, for himself, for sure. Uh, you know, but we just watched both of these teams play, I, I think, kind of polar opposite games. Like, really, yeah, they were both close games against what should have been inferior teams, but, you know, the Ravens were outgaining Cincinnati, like Stephen already pointed out, arguably outplayed them in that game. The Bills really completely dominated the Dolphins in terms of like plays from the line of scrimmage. It was just a lot of fluky stuff, uh, you know, fumble for six, turnovers. Uh, I think they muffed a punt as well, uh, if I'm remembering right. Um, just a lot of stuff that you really can't count on going forward. I, I know that that it has been kind of consistently an issue for the the Bills for for some time now, but you know this has been one of the best offenses in the NFL for three years now. So I'm I'm can only assume they're going to clean it up. And yeah, it's interesting what Steven is talking about with the Bengals offensive line because you know my eye test tells me that they were playing better. I don't really, I'm a little bit skeptical of, I guess, how much stock to put into the ESPN win rates. I, I have some issues with them just because they're like, so, um, I don't know how to put it, but, uh, like it's so like pass fail, I guess, you know, there's no, like, there's no slider. Like you don't get extra credit for holding your block for 3.5 seconds or beating the block in a half second, you know, none of it's treated the same as like you know, winning in 2.4 seconds or whatever. So, but then that being said, you know, I tried to check the PFF grades to see if those, uh, matched up and they, they agree with Steven, a uh, 31st in, in pass blocking. So, uh, I think, uh, maybe they're, they were worse than I, I thought, but that being said, man, these backup tackles, I think you're not giving enough like weight to how bad these backup tackles are. We saw something at Denigy last year, 
in the Super Bowl and maybe I think before that, I can't remember how many games he played, but definitely in the Super Bowl, I have just a strong memory of him being an absolute turnstile against the Rams, <laughs> just being beaten every other play. Something Jackson Carmen, this guy is a backup guard and he's playing tackle right now. Like, let's think about what that means. That is, dude, he had a pass block set last week. Oh my God, where he just looked, he looked like a guard. I mean, he just rooted to the spot. A dude just ran right around him. It was just like, man, you can't do that. Okay. Like he's not even making contact with that pass rusher. I mean, and then that doesn't even count in Alex Kappa's injury, another solid performer that they added this year to shore up this O-line. I don't know, man. Last time we saw cascading injuries to a offensive line like this, high volume passing offense was probably the chiefs in the super bowl against tampa bay and you know the chiefs lost by 30 against a team they pretty much dominated in the regular season so i think the cascading injuries are just like a really really big factor here and then also just the cornerbacks it's a tough matchup for these cornerbacks cam taylor Britt, bless his husker heart uh and <laughs> eli apple they're they're terrible. Uh, Cam Taylor Britt, I'll say, I've, I've been impressed with his tackling. His run support has been pretty good, but, man, uh, they're not good in coverage. Eli Apple got obviously, like, absolutely torched last week for a long touchdown um, by Demarcus Robinson, who pretty much belongs on a practice squad, okay? Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, um, whatever else the Bills are getting out there. Isaiah McKenzie, if he's healthy, it looks like he's going to play. Um yeah, I actually I like Bill's alternate just in case this turns into a route. Like I was going to ask game. you that. I was going to ask if you're going to take plus money on an alt line here. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to take this ugly number. This is just an ugly number to lay. Laying juice on minus five. I, I don't know. I just not a number I want to take. I'd rather just sell it out. At least take minus seven. I think is good here, and I think I'm going to go like minus nine and a half. I'm seeing some plus one sixty fives numbers like that uh, around plus nine and a half. I think we could see a Bill's route here. Nicole, last thing to, to Mo's point about Adenogy, he was so bad in the playoffs last year that they were platooning him during the game. Like you don't, I've I've never seen in a regular season game, let alone a playoff game, a player on the offensive line being subbed in and out like it's hockey line changes. That's how bad you have to be on the offensive line for that to happen. All right, well. We're going to see since we're on opposite sides. Last but not least, we've got the Eagles hosting the Giants for the second time in three weeks at Lincoln Financial. The Eagles are trying to win their first playoff game in four years, currently sitting at minus seven and a half. And Mo, you like them in this spot. Yeah, not uh a guy who often lays big numbers here, but I, I actually did the last time when the Eagles played the Giants, um, like Steven said, the last serious game they played when starters were in there for both sides, I think I got in there at like minus six or minus six and a half week 14. I had the number, I had them above a touchdown on the road there. So they did win that game by 26. Um, and then this last game, even like against the Giants backups, I know that it ended up being like a close game kind of 22 to 16, I believe was the final, but like that game that they were up 
double digits in the fourth. I mean, Hertz was knocking off a lot of rust in that game. He didn't look particularly good. I'm hoping he plays better in this one. I got this at minus seven. So this is kind of a weird one. I'm still thinking minus seven and a half is playable for a smaller play, but if you want to fire it in a teaser, like Steven said, I, I think that's fine. Um, is This is just not even like that much matchup based for me here. It's just, I just think the Eagles are a way better team than the Giants. Um, I know that the Giants... Ooh, people are mad out there driving in the snow. Um, <laughs> I know that the Giants are Passing a great Giants story. fan coming by your house there, Mo. Nebraska. We don't know Very what snow bad is. Weather for driving right now, <laughs> so I can understand people might be mad out there. Um, but yeah, the Eagles are just a way better team than the Giants. I I think this number should be close to ten here. Um, People are excited about the Giants. They looked good last week. I already talked about that. And and just not – the Eagles didn't close the season very strongly, which I get. But they the Giants, man, I mean 18th in net EPA, 21st in DVOA. They have a negative yards per play on the season. I, I don't think this is a good team. Like I admire what Brian Dayball has done with them. He's done a tremendous job. For sure they're hitting their ceiling. Probably they're like – their necks are like crooked against the top of the ceiling. They've gone so far up to the ceiling, but they don't really do anything well on the football field besides run the ball on offense. That was a pretty big vulnerability for the Eagles early in the season. But as uh, my buddy, Rich Ryan has been hammering the table about on gridiron gamble, just put a couple fat guys in there who are competent. <laughs> and they did that. Just and Dominican Sue and Linval Joseph, ever since they added those guys to the team, Eagles 11th in, in rush defense EPA per play allowed. So, uh, I, I think this is going to be a tough one for the Giants. I mean, I just don't see how this passing game can keep up. I, I, Daniel Jones is doing the best he can with these receivers, but man, this is as bad of a group as receivers as you can pretty much find. All right, Steven, finish it out for us. What are you, are you agreeing with Mo for the final take of the game or are you taking an opposite side or what do you like for this matchup? I could not agree with Mo more on this one. <laughs> this line made absolutely no sense to me, especially now that it we're recording on Wednesday. The first injury report has come out and Jalen Hurts isn't even on it. He's playing. He's fine. He's full participant in practice. Yes, Lane Johnson is limited and is going to be playing through an injury that's going to require surgery at the end of the year. But I mean, this is this screams recency bias to me with people seeing what the Giants did to the Minnesota Vikings, who most of us all thought was a fraud team to begin with. That Minnesota defense is atrocious, huge step up in class here to go from the Minnesota defense to the Philadelphia Eagles. First first meeting between these two teams, it was 21 to nothing almost before the Giants even got off the bus. So this was never a competitive game the first time around. They dominated them in every facet of the game. If you look at yards per play, it was 6.6 for the Eagles to 4.8 for the Giants. For those that are uninitiated, that is a yards per play massacre. Eagles had 253 rushing yards in this game against the Giants. So Great story. Brian Dable is a wizard. Wouldn't be surprised if knowing he's playing with house money at this point that he tries to pull out every bag of tricks he possibly can to try and keep this close. But this is just one of the best rosters in the league and defensively in particular. 
the Eagles secondary against these receivers is just a mismatch overall. So yeah, the fact that this was seven, almost basically the same number on the road earlier this year. And now you flip home field and get a bye week for the Eagles. It makes no sense. So 100% on board with Mo. I bet it at minus seven and yeah, I'd still be fine betting it at seven and a half as well. Always like ending on a little kumbaya moment. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. Steven, thank you for joining us this week. If you are betting this weekend, good luck with your bets, and we will see you next time.